Okay, we're in Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. And we'll pick up in verse 8 today and read through verse 33. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath for your head and ornaments around your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole as those who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the path. Do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I called and you refused, I stretch out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes, when your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them, and the complacencies of fools will destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from dread of evil. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we do pray, Lord, that you would grant to us wisdom, Lord, knowledge, instruction. Lord, that we would not be as the fool and the scoffer who rejects the wisdom of God for his own carnal, worldly, demonic wisdom. But Lord, rather may we see that those who walk in the pathway of your wisdom, Lord, they will dwell securely. They have a future. But those who depend upon their own wisdom will be destroyed. Lord, show us these things, Lord, that this is an issue of life and death. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, here we're in Proverbs chapter 1. We dealt with the first seven verses last week, which really give an introduction to the book and show that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and that the purpose is to grant to us wisdom and understanding, not merely in uh, the things of this world, but primarily the understanding of spiritual issues, of salvation, and how to live a life pleasing to the Lord, right? The way of the righteous living a godly life. That's what the book of Proverbs is dealing with, the outcome or the fruit of salvation, right? What it means for a person to be saved, and then how we ought to conduct ourselves as those who are redeemed. As a redeemed man, we ought to live in a certain way. And here, the issues we're dealing with are issues of life and death. This is a matter of eternal life and eternal death. So these are not just merely tips or a little bit of advice here or there so that we can have a better life now, but this is dealing with eternal issues of life and death, and we see that in the passages that we're going to look at today. It's very crucial that we listen to the Word of God, that we heed the instructions of God found in the Word of God. Whatever comes to us from the apostles and the prophets is coming not merely from man, but ultimately from the Spirit of God. These are the words of God. It gives to us the very wisdom of the Lord, and we cannot reject that wisdom, and if we do, we do so to our own ruin and destruction. 
And this is what it is commending to us. It's showing to us the necessity, how essential it is, how precarious it is for us to listen to and heed the word of God. So let's pick up in verse 8. He says there, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Here, he says, hear. We have to hear these things. And when he says hear, he doesn't mean merely hear with your ears so that you understand what is said, but to hear with faith. This is the hearing of faith. Whoever hears these words of mine and acts upon them, Jesus says, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But the one who hears my word and does not act upon them is like the foolish man who builds his house on the sand. Right? The winds come, the storm blows, the one built on the rock, it stands steady and secure, but the one built on the stand, it comes falling and crashing and tumbling down. This is the type of hearing that we're talking about here. The hearing of faith. The hearing that sees the goodness of the word of God and then says, I'm going to conform my life to the word of God. I'm going to reject my own wisdom and the wisdom of this world, and I'm going to do the will of God. And here it is your father's instruction, your mother's teaching. Whatever comes to us from wise fathers and wise mothers, meaning believers, those who are believers, if the father is a believer and the father is teaching the child the things of God, if the mother is a believer and she's teaching the child the things of God, then he ought to believe those things. The son, the daughter, whomever it is, the grandchild should believe and receive those things for two reasons. One, ultimately, because they come from God. They come from God, therefore we ought to listen to them. But also here, it also is coming from your father and your mother. And isn't it good for children to obey their parents? And this is what Solomon is doing. He's writing for his, the sake of his children, for the sake of his own son. Heed these words, listen to them. So we ought to also listen to the word of God. Verse 9, indeed, they are a graceful wreath on your head and ornaments about your neck. When we hear and when we obey the word of God, then that becomes to us a wreath on our head and an ornament on our neck. This is what gives us our adornment. The adornment of the people of God is not their attire. It is not the gold and jewelry that they wear, but rather it is the godliness of their life. It is their life seen in godly living. When they live a life of wisdom, a life of virtue, a life of righteousness, then that itself adorns them. They adorn the gospel in the way that they live, and it makes them beautiful in the sight of God and in the sight of the righteous. This is the same as 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 there, when he's addressing the women in the church and talking about how they ought to live, notice that he says there, 1 Peter 3, verse 1, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. So there he says the adornment of the woman should not merely be external, but rather it should be internal. In the internal, the hidden person of the heart, this life of godliness and righteousness. This is the way that they adorn themselves. Well, that's the same as he's speaking of in Proverbs chapter 1 verse 9. When we heed the wisdom of God in the word of God, then that becomes our adornment. It is a wreath upon our head. It is an ornament around our neck. Verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Again, we had mentioned this earlier. When we're dealing with the book of Proverbs, we're not talking about 
tips for life. Seven steps to having your best life now, or seven steps of highly effective people. This is not what he's dealing with here. We're talking about spiritual issues, right? What does he introduce here? The issue of sin, right? We're talking about sin and righteousness. If sinners entice you, and what do sinners entice us to do? To sin against God. So that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about sin and righteousness, good and evil. That's the issue at hand. And this father is saying to the son, son, if a sinner entices you to commit sin, don't listen to them. Do not consent. Do not give in to their enticements. And sin is an enticement. Temptation is an enticement. That's what they're doing. They're enticing us. They're telling us how wonderful it is, how great it is. Oh, we'll have such a good time. We'll go out here to the bar and we'll all have a good time. We'll drink, we'll carouse. There'll be lots of women there. It's going to be so much fun. You're going to really love it. You're going to have a great time. You should come with us. This is what they do, but they don't tell you the truth. They don't tell you the reality. They always gloss over sin and make it look very, very good, very enticing, very appealing to the flesh, but they don't tell you the reality of what lies behind it. That's what the Word of God is doing. That's what Solomon is doing for us. He's showing us the ugly reality. He's pulling the mask off, the mask off of sin, and showing us what it really is, what it truly is, and what it truly leads to. It doesn't lead to a good time. It leads to where? It leads to hell. That's what we have to see. We have to, by faith, look and see that, yes, there are the fleeting pleasures of sin, there are the momentary pleasures of sin, but those pleasures will soon give way to everlasting ruin and destruction, to the judgment of God. We have to be able to look beyond this present world to the day of judgment and see that if we sin against God, if we live a life of sin, there is a day of payment coming So when sinners entice us to go commit sins with them, they're not our friends. They're not looking out for our good. They don't care about us. They actually, they hate us and they want to destroy us because they are going to be destroyed and they want us to be destroyed with them. And that's why he says, do not consent. Don't listen to them. Because ultimately, we're dealing with life and death eternal life and eternal death. That's why you have to resist them. Sinners will entice us. And the reason that sinners are able to entice us is because of the flesh. That we still have the flesh and the flesh still wants to sin. It longs for sin, so we have to overcome it. That's why it's an enticement. If we didn't have the flesh, then we would be like, no way. Why would we do that? It would be like someone trying to get you to eat garbage. There's no appeal to you for that. You'd be like, well, I'm not going to eat that garbage. There's nothing there. But because of the flesh, we still have a taste and a desire for sin that remains within us. And this is why it is an enticement. It is a temptation, and we have to crucify the flesh along with its desires. James chapter 1, verse 13. James 1, 13. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. The reason sinners are able to entice us is because of the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh are still there, so we have to be on guard. That's why he's warning him. Don't fall to their enticements. Don't fall to their temptations, right? Temptation is always a lie. It is always a lie. It tells us that sin is good. Sin is going to be for our good, for our benefit, for our pleasure, for our comfort. That's what it's telling us. But it doesn't tell us the whole story. It doesn't tell us the eternal story of what comes after sin. Sin always leads to what? To death. It always leads to death. And this is what they leave out. Verse 11, what do they say? If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. 
Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole as those who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. We shall all have one purse. Here, this is the enticement. Let's go and ambush the innocent man, right? The, the innocent man, he hasn't done anything to us. We have no reason. We're just going to do it for the fun of it, right? It's a good time. Don't young men like doing this kind of stuff? Don't they like rabble-rousing and causing mischief and even doing this type of stuff? Going and attacking people for no reason, just for the sport of it, right? Just for the fun of it. That's what they're doing. Let's go and we'll just lie in wait and we'll go beat up on this guy, right? For no reason. And then we'll rob him and we'll take all of his goods and we'll get rich off of it. We won't have to work. We won't have to go do that. And then when we get the money, then we can go have a good time. We'll be able to go out to the bars. We'll go out to the loose women, you know, and be able to go and eat and drink and have a good time and, and be riotous. We go to the casino down here and we'll be able to spend it. You know, what do we care if we lose it? It's not our money anyway. We just stole it from this old chap over here. This is what they do. And they make it sound like it's going to be great. It's going to be great. We're going to have a good time. It's going to be so wonderful. And look, they're already lying in this. We'll all have one purse. Does that ever happen? Is there any honor among thieves? No. What do they always do? They betray one another. Why would you trust these men? But this is what they say. We're all going to be in this together. We're all like one uh, jolly band of, of marauders, and we'll go out, and we'll have a good time together. So all they're talking about is how much fun it's going to be, how great it's, how pros, prosperous they'll be as a result. And then what will they be able to do when they get all that money? We'll be able to have a good time, a good time. Isn't this what most people are like? All they're thinking about is this present world. They're thinking about this life. They're not thinking about the life to come. They're not thinking about the day of judgment. It's all about eating, drinking, making merry, having fun, living a riotous life like the prodigal son. He went into a distant country and he squandered all of his wealth on riotous living. This is what many people want to do, especially many young people, and old people, but many young people as well. They want to live this kind of deviant life. Verse 15, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed blood. Here he tells them, this is a very dangerous pathway to walk. He warns him, to stay away from them. Don't go with them. Don't walk with them. Don't say, well, I'll just go have a little bit of fun with them, but I won't go all the way. No, stay away from them. Don't go with them at all. Keep your feet from their path because their feet run to evil. Who are they ultimately committing their evils against? They're committing it against God. They run to evil and they're shedding blood. And how can we think that we can shed blood and there not be a day of reckoning. Aren't we taught from Genesis chapter 4, when Cain shed the blood of Abel, that Abel's blood was crying out to God for vengeance? For vengeance? Well, if we shed innocent blood like Cain did, then the innocent blood we shed will be crying out to God for vengeance. And what will God grant? He will grant vengeance to the shedding of innocent blood. There will be a recompense on the day of judgment or maybe before the day of judgment because it can happen in this life as well, but for sure on the day of judgment, even if they never get caught, even if they go their whole life living like this and they never are held accountable to the judge, to the authorities in this world, ultimately they will stand before God and there will be a day of judgment. We should not run in the pathway of evil. What path should we run in? Well, we should know this from Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 32. Psalm 119, 32. I shall run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. We should not run in the pathway of evil, but we should run in the pathway of God's commandments. That's the way that we ought to live, not like these wicked men. Verse 17. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net 
in the sight of any bird. But they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. Here in verse 17, it's useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird. Whenever the fowler is spreading the baited net, he wants to catch the bird in his trap. He needs to spread the baited net when the bird isn't watching. Otherwise, the bird's going to see what he's doing down there, and the bird's going to know that's a trap. Why would I go down there and eat that food? Because if I do, I'm going to be trapped in it. The bird is itself smart enough to know that if he sees the trapper setting the trap, that he's going to stay away from it. And many animals are like this. You have to be very crafty in the way that you set your traps. Otherwise, the fox, the coyote, the raccoon, whatever it is that you're after, they can catch up on it. They know what's going on, and they're not going to put their hand in there. Actually, many times, they'll figure out a way to get your food without getting caught because they're very crafty, intelligent creatures. Well, here, the animal, the bird, is smarter than the sinner. The sinner is so stupid. Who's the one baiting the trap? Who is setting the trap? He's setting the trap for his own life. And then he's so stupid that he walks into it to his own death and ruin. Even a bird knows not to do that. But these sinners, they don't know any better. This is how blinded they are, how insatiable they are for their sin. They lie in wait for whose blood? Their own blood. They ambush their own lives. They ambush the innocent life here temporally, but they ambush their own life in doing that eternally and, and spiritually. They lie in wait for his blood temporarily, but ultimately, spiritually, eternally, they're lying in wait for their own blood because this sin that they've committed, if they do not repent of it, is going to be brought forward on the day of judgment as the basis of their condemnation. And they're going to go to hell because of their sin. They're trapping their own soul in their sin, and it's going to lead to their death and their destruction. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. The problem isn't gaining wealth. The problem is gaining wealth by illegitimate means, by sinful means. We should not gain wealth through violence, by going and killing a man and taking what's his. That's murder and theft. That's not the proper way to gain wealth. Gaining wealth by hard work, that's good and fine and proper. Gaining wealth by being industrious and frugal in your living, that's good and proper and fine. But gaining wealth through violence is sinful and evil against God, and ultimately there will be a recompense. It takes away the life of its possessors. Those who possess wealth this way, their life will be forfeited because of that wealth. Right? It is crying out against them. This would be the same as James chapter 5. James chapter 5 verse 1 says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted. And their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which have been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man he does not resist you. They're, when they're doing this, James says, you fatten your heart in the day of slaughter. Right? It, on the day of slaughter, you don't want to be the fat pig. You want to be the skinny pig, right? Because the fat one is the one that's going to be slaughtered. Well, who are the fat ones on the day of judgment? The wicked are. They are the ones who are fat, and they are going to be slaughtered by God. This is what it says also in Proverbs, those who gain by violence. It takes away the life of the possessor. Verse 20, wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. 
At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. Here is the problem, is the reason that men don't live a wise life, that they live a sinful and an evil life. Is it because no one knows the wisdom of God? It's, it's not accessible to us. We have no access to the wisdom of God. And, and God, we all want to do what's right. We all want to live a, a life of purity. We're all good people, and we want to do what's right in your sight. We just don't know what to do, and you haven't told us. This is what people generally believe. They believe that all men are good, and that all men mean well and do well. And the reason there's disagreements here and there is just because they don't know better. It's a lack of it's ignorance. It's a lack of knowledge and a lack of understanding. And yes, it is from ignorance and it is from lack of knowledge, but whose fault is that? Whose fault is it that men don't know the difference between good and evil? Whose fault is it that men don't know the difference between righteousness and wickedness? Is it God's fault because he's not revealed it to us? No, it's their fault. God has spoken, but men don't listen. They refuse to listen to the words of God. Wisdom is shouting in the streets. She's lifting up her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she's crying out. She's at the entrance of the gate, uttering her sayings. Where the people are, going, bustling, here and there, going to and fro, going about their daily activities. Wisdom is there crying out to them, but no one cares, no one listens. They don't have time for it. They're too busy going here and there. There's no excuse. The word of God is here. The wisdom of God is here. The reason we don't know how to live a life pleasing to God is not because God has failed to teach us and instruct us, but is because we don't care, because we don't want to know, because we're lazy and slothful, and we don't take an interest in the things of God. This is why men live foolish lives and they don't live according to the wisdom of God. God has spoken. The word is near us, in our mouth and in our heart, the very word of faith that we proclaim. The word is so close to us, so near us. The wisdom of God has been so faithfully given to us. It is as if it is standing in the street crying out to us, telling us that this is what we need to do. So if we don't do what is good and right in the sight of God, if we don't live a wise life, then whose fault is it? Is it God's fault for not teaching us or is it our fault for not listening? It's our fault. It is our fault if we do not listen. This is why it's so important that we heed the word of God. Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30, this is what Moses taught the people. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 11 to 14. Deuteronomy 30 verse 11. For this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it? that we may observe it. But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may observe it. These are the types of lame excuses people use. The commandment of God is not too difficult for you, and it's not out of reach for you. Right? People will say, oh, well, if we could go to heaven, and if we could see God ourselves, then we would believe in him. No, you don't need to do that. Or, if we could send someone across the sea on the other side of the ocean and they could go over there and get the word of God for us and bring it back, then we would obey it. Then we would observe it. Is that necessary? No. Where is the word? It is in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. Moses is saying, I have taught you the will of God so faithfully, so accurately it is as if I have put the very word into your mouth and I have put the very word into your heart. All that is lacking is what? Your faith. Your faith and your obedience to the word of God. It is near you. It is right here. And isn't that the case with us as well? The word of God is not far away from us. It's not in heaven that we need to send someone up to heaven to go get the word of God to bring it down for us. 
nor is it on the other side of the ocean or down into the depths of hell that we need to send someone down there to go get the word of God for us and bring it back to us. It's right here. It's right in front of us. All we have to do is open it, read it, believe it, obey it. That's what wisdom is saying, crying out into the streets. Listen to me, wisdom says. Obey me. Heed my instruction. That's what we should do. What is wisdom saying? Verse 22. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Here, wisdom gives three descriptions of us, of men, of sinful man. Naive. We are naive in our natural state. Scoffers. What do we scoff at? We scoff at the word of God. Yes, that's what men scoff at. They scoff at the word of God because they think they're wiser than God. They're better than God. They're more righteous than God. They've got more understanding than God. They scoff at the word of God. Fools. A fool. In the book of Proverbs, the term fool is the most common term used to describe a wicked man. It doesn't mean it in the sense of an absent-minded man or someone who's just a little scattered here and there. A fool is a wicked man. A wicked, evil, sinful man is a foolish man. And this is what we are by nature. We are naive, we are scoffers, and we are fools by nature. And the only way we can cease to be naive, cease to be scoffers, cease to be fools, is through the wisdom of God found in the word of God. This is the only way a man can cease to be these things and become the wisdom of God. Be a wise man, a righteous man. That's what we want to be. We want to be a wise man. That's the way the righteous man is described in the book of Proverbs. A contrast between the wise man and the foolish man. We don't want to be the fool. We want to be wise. Well, how do we become wise? We listen to wisdom. We hear the words of God, we believe the words of God, and we obey the words of God. Why will you be simple-minded, wisdom says? Why will you delight yourself in scoffing? Why will you hate knowledge? Right? Is it good to be simple-minded? Isn't that typically an insult to say someone is a simple-minded man? And yet here, the Bible is insulting us, telling us, why are you like this? Why would you want to stay in this situation? Don't you see how miserable it is to be a person who lacks knowledge, to be a simple-minded man? Then why would we stay like that? We have to come out of it. We have to overcome it. But in order to overcome it, we have to admit it. We have to admit that this is who we are. We must admit that we are fools in the sight of God. And only then can we become wise in the sight of God. We have to forsake everything we have to forsake our wisdom, our righteousness, whatever it is that we puff ourselves up with, we have to abandon and crucify those things and admit the truth and the reality that in God's sight, we are very foolish people. And we need God to teach us and give to us true wisdom. This is a true description of mankind. Simple-minded, naive, fools, scoffers. And here... The Bible's saying this very overtly, straightforwardly, right? So we can't say, well, we, we shouldn't talk to people like this. Well, the Bible talks to people like that. Wisdom talks to people like that. And if a person is behaving like a fool, then what do we need to tell them? Man, you're a fool. You need to quit being like that. If a person is simple-minded and scoffing at the word of God, we need to say, quit, don't scoff at the word of God. You shouldn't do that, right? Don't you know that those who do such things deserve to die? And you'll come under the judgment of God. So what do we need to do? Verse 23. Turn at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Turn, which is another word for what? Repent. repent. Yes, we have to repent. We have to repent of our own wisdom, of our own knowledge, of our pride and arrogance before God. We have to admit that we are fools, that we have no understanding, and then turn away from our own wisdom toward the wisdom of God. We have to say, I don't know anything. I'm a foolish man. Everything that I believe is upside down. The way I look at the world is not right, and I need God to teach me. So I'm going to not trust anything that comes from me. 
I'm not going to trust anything that comes from the world. And I want to go to the word of God and read the word of God and find out what does God say about this? What is, what is God's mind on raising my children? What does God say about how I should use my money? What does God say about the way that I work? What does God say about the way I should be a man and how I should lead my family in the home? What does God say about this doctrine and that doctrine? What does the Lord say about uh, this commandment and that commandment? That's the way that we should be. Turn away from our wisdom, turn to the wisdom of God, and when we do this, what will God do for us? He will pour out His Spirit on us. He will pour His Spirit out upon us and make His Word known to us. He will give to us wisdom. But it takes humility. Humility. We have to have humility in order to come to God in this way. But when we come as a humble man, then God will give true wisdom to us, and then he'll give us more and more and more and more so that we cease to be a fool, and then we become wise in the sight of God, in the sight of God. And that's what we want, right? Isn't it good to be wise in the sight of God? Don't we want God to testify that we are wise people? We don't want God to say that man's a fool, We want him to say that we are wise. But that can only happen if we accept his wisdom and reject the wisdom of this world. Now, if we do that, what will the world say about us? They'll say that we're fools. You're a madman. You're crazy. But God will say that we're wise. And isn't it better to have the praise of man, or the praise of God, rather than the praise of man? We don't want the praise of man. We want the praise of God. To have God testify that we are wise. That's what we want. First Thessalonians chapter 1. First Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 9. It says, For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. There, they turn to God from idols. To God from idols. The idols are stupid and foolish. That's what they used to live in. They thought it was wise, but then they came to see that these are idols, and this is very foolish. They turned away from those idols, and they turned to the true God. That's the same as our passage in Proverbs 1, 23. Verse 24. It says, Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention, and you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. Though wisdom is crying aloud in the streets, what is typically the case? What is generally the case? That's what he's describing here. People don't listen. No one listens. He says no one paid attention. It is so rare for there to be a person who listens to the wisdom of God that it is as if no one pays attention. No one listens. Now we have to ask, why does the prophet have to be so negative all the time? Why is he so negative in the way that he's portraying man? Because this is how people are. Rarely one in a thousand or one in 10,000 will listen to the word of God. People are indifferent. They don't care or they scoff at it. They reject it. They'll argue here and there. They don't want to know what the Bible says. They don't have time for those things. This is generally speaking the way it's going to be. We should not be surprised when there are very few people who want to take serious the things of God. This is the way it has always been. This is the way it always will be. And this is what is being described here. Wisdom cries, wisdom calls, but men refuse to listen. Wisdom stretches out her hands. No one pays attention. They neglected the counsel of wisdom. They did not want the reproof. They are content and happy living the way that they want to live. We're fine over here. We're doing just fine. We don't need you. We don't need the Bible. We don't need to know what God says. This is the way that we've always done it. And it's just worked just fine for us, so we don't need the Bible or what the Bible says. People will say this. Why do you always have to quote the Bible to me? People have said that to me. 
They're just going to bring up the Bible whenever they talk to you, as if that's an evil thing. But this is how people are. They don't want to know what the Bible says. They neglect it. Wasn't this the case with Noah? Noah, who was a preacher of righteousness, according to 2 Peter 2, verse 5, for 120 years he built the ark, and he was a preacher of righteousness. And how many people listened to Noah? Nobody listened to him. No one paid attention to Noah. No one listened. Also, Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 6. This was the case with Jeremiah as well. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16 and 17. Jeremiah 6, 16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. I set watchmen over you saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. There it is. There the watchmen are standing there crying out to the people saying, this is the good way. Walk in the ways of the Lord, the good way, the righteous way. It will lead to eternal life. It will bring rest to your souls. And the people say, we're okay. We're fine. We don't need that. Right? I'm doing just fine. Right? I'm not going to walk in that way. He sends watchmen to them, saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. Listen to the word of God. And they say, no, we're not going to listen. Right? We're, we're too busy. We're having a good time. There's a football game I need to go watch. Right? We want to go shopping. We want to go uh, to the lake. We want to do this and that. We got all these things that we want to do. We don't have time to listen to the word of God. After all, God loves everyone, doesn't he? And we're all going to make it to heaven one day. So why do I have to take these things serious? You guys are just a bunch of fanatics, right? You're just a bunch of fanatics and crazy men. So we'll be okay. This is the way that people behave. They don't want it. Well, what is wisdom going to do to these people on the day of calamity. And we have to ask, who is the wisdom of God? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. What will Jesus Christ do to these people who he spoke his word to and they refused to listen when the day of calamity comes? Because that's what he's telling us about. The wisdom of God is given to us to prepare us for the day of calamity or the day of judgment that is coming on the world. And when people hear the word of God, the wisdom of God that tells them there is a day of judgment coming and you better be ready for it by repenting of your sin and trusting in Christ and they refuse to listen, then ultimately that day is going to come upon them and then they're going to be backtracking. Well, what is wisdom going to do to them? What is Jesus going to do to them on the day of judgment? Notice verse 26. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes, when your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. When the judgment of God comes upon them and they refuse to listen, they didn't have time for it. They were too busy doing this and that. And they did not take serious the judgment of God. And then that day of calamity comes then they're scrambling around, running to and fro, wondering what's going to happen. Jesus is going to mock them. He's going to laugh at them. He's going to ridicule them whenever that day of judgment comes upon them. Because they knew better. You should have known better and you should have made preparation. But you didn't. So now I'm going to mock you and laugh at you while you're being destroyed on the day of judgment. Now we might say, well, that seems awfully mean. The Jesus I worship would never do that. Well, that's the problem. That is the problem. The Jesus most people worship would never do that, but the Jesus they worship isn't the Jesus of the Bible. Also, in Psalm 52, verses 6 and 7, not only will Jesus do this, the righteous also will do this on the day of judgment. Psalm 52 
verse 5. Psalm 52, 5. It says, God will break you down forever. He will snatch you up and tear you away from your tent and uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear and will laugh at him, saying, Behold, the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and was strong in his evil desires. There, the righteous. When the righteous see the wicked man who trusted in his riches being cut off, he's going to laugh at him and say, look at this fool. Look at him. He trusted in his riches. He thought his money could buy his way out of heaven. Who could be such a fool to think that way? The righteous will see it and will laugh at him because that's what Christ is doing. Christ sees it and Christ laughs at them when their ruin and destruction comes upon them. And notice it comes upon them like a whirlwind, like a storm. Isn't this the way the day of the Lord comes? It's like a thief in the night. He comes upon them suddenly when they are not ready for it, right? They think it's peace and safety. Everything's going to continue as it always has since the beginning of the world, right? This is what they will think. It'll be like the days of Noah. They're eating, they're drinking, they're marrying, they're giving in marriage, they're conducting life just as they always have, thinking that it's going to continue day after day after day after day. And then ultimately what happens? Suddenly, the heavens open up and the flood comes and they're all swept away. And now all of a sudden, that Noah guy, right, the crazy fanatic, the one that they all made fun of for 120 years, now Noah doesn't seem like as foolish of a man as we thought. Now who's the wise man? Noah is the wise man and they are the fools. For the 120 years, Noah was the fool, and they were the wise men. They were the ones laughing it up at him, mocking him, making jest at him. But then when the flood comes, and they're all climbing trees, trying to escape the waters that are rising, getting on the top of their houses because they're all about to be swept away, then all of a sudden, Noah is the wise man, and he's dwelling in safety. And they're crying out, help us. But there is no help. There is no help on that day, but only death and destruction. That's what it says in verse 28. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. When it's too late. Today is the day of salvation. The day of judgment is not the day of salvation. That's not the time to repent of your sins. Today is the day to repent. Today is the day to believe in Christ. Not when the calamity comes. But when the calamity comes, then they're going to say, oh, okay, well, we believe in Jesus now. We, we want to be one of your children now, but it'll be too late. It'll be too late, and they're all going to be swept away. Luke 13. Luke 13. Isn't this the case here with the rich man? Or Luke 13, 22. Now, this is with the foolish servants. Then we'll read about the rich man in chapter 18. Luke 13, verse 22. And he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. Someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evil doers. There, when the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and they're on the outside, then they're knocking on the door saying, Lord, open to us. Well, you should have come in when the door was open. But now the door is shut and you want in. That's what they're doing here in Proverbs verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 28. Now they're calling upon me, but I'm not going to answer them. I'm not going to listen. Then they're saying, Lord, open up to us. And he says, I don't know who you are. Depart from me, you evil doers. All of a sudden, on the day of judgment, everyone gets religious. 
Men give them some religion on the day of judgment, but it's too late then. It's too late. Today is the favorable day. Today is the day of salvation. This is the day to take serious the day of judgment. This is the day to make our preparations for the life to come. Not on the day of judgment. Today is the day to do that. Luke 18, verse 24. Sorry, Luke 16, verse 24. Luke 16, 24. This is the rich man. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue. For I am in agony in this flame. Now he wants mercy. Now he wants relief. Now he wants help from the torments of hell. Well, when was the time to make those preparations? In life. But in life, what was he doing? He was too busy having a good time. Feasting sumptuously, living, living it up. He didn't have time to think about the things to come, to think about eternal life, to think about the day of judgment. Now he's in agony and he's thinking about it. Now he wants mercy, but he didn't want it in life. Then also, verse 25, but Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he's being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. Then he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, in order that they may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Not only does he want mercy for himself, he even wants it for his family. But he didn't care about any of these things when he was alive. Did he ever talk to his brothers about the things of God? Did he warn them about the place of torment? He didn't say anything to them then, but now he understands. Now his eyes have been opened because he's experienced it, but it's too late. It's too late. He's calling upon the Lord for help. He's asking for God to be gracious and merciful, but God's not going to listen. He's not going to give him anything. This is the way it is. People don't take it serious in this life, but then in the life to come, they're going to take it very seriously. But it'll be too late for them then. So we can't fall into this trap. We don't want Christ making fun of us. Today is the day to call upon Christ. Why will this happen to them? Verse 29. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. They hated the knowledge of God. They hated the fear of the Lord. They did not listen to the reproof of God. They would not repent of their own wisdom and trust in the wisdom of God. And this is why all of this is now coming upon them. Verse 31. So they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. They're going to get what they deserve. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. You lived a life of sin. You built your life on sand your house is going to come crashing down. What do you expect? Don't you know that if you build your house on the sand, it's going to fall down on your head and kill you and your family? Why would you do that? Well, this is how it is here. You get what you deserve. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth is the justice of God. You built your life on the sand, and now are you going to be surprised that your house comes crashing down? You fed on evil you lived a life of sin. You did that which was uh, unpleasing in the sight of God. And now you're going to get what you deserve on the day of judgment. You're going to eat the fruit of your own way. You're going to get your own devices. You're going to be filled up with it. Fill up the measure of your sin. And then you're going to get the judgment of God. Verse 32. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them. And the complacencies of fools will destroy them. 
But he who listens to me shall live securely. He will be at ease from the dread of evil. Here, again, it's life and death. Isn't that what he says? Destroyed versus dwell securely. Do we want to be destroyed or do we want to dwell securely? Well, what is it that leads to the death and the destruction of the naive? Their waywardness. Wayward from God, from the word of God, from the commandments of God. They live a loose life according to their own whims and fancies, according to their own pleasures. And it is their waywardness that will kill them. And they're naive people. They believe anything, right? The naive will believe anything. Whatever comes out of this world, whatever is the latest, greatest idea, right? The latest, greatest book, they get it, they consume it, and they say, oh no, you really need to read this book. It's gonna really help you out. It really helped me out a lot in my life. And you know, now I know all this and that, and this is what they do. And then the next year they get a new book and then they get a new one. They listen to Dr. Phil, they listen to Oprah, whoever's on, they'll listen to, and they really help me out a lot. And if you'll listen to them, they'll help you out as well. And they just go here and there from this to that, like a child tossed to and fro by various winds of doctrine. They're not settled and stable in their beliefs, in their doctrine, in their understanding of the word of God. And it is their waywardness going here and there to and fro that ultimately will destroy them. It will kill them. And their complacency, the complacency of fools, a complacent person. It's not a big deal. We don't have to take it seriously. We'll, we'll, talk, we'll deal with that later in life. Right? We'll get serious about the things of God in our old age. Because right now we're young and we want to have a good time. So we'll live it up now while we're young and then we'll take care of those things later. But what happens? Well, maybe they die in their youth and they don't get to old age. Or even in old age, what do people always think? Oh, I got another 10 years. I got nothing more. I'll deal with it later on down the road. It's complacency. They're complacent. But then suddenly the day of death comes upon them and then they have to stand before God. And it is their complacency that destroys them. They do not take serious the things of God. They don't see it as an issue of life and death. Yeah, if we get around to it, it's fine. But if not, it's no big deal. But we can't look at it that way. We have to take it very seriously. And it will destroy them. Proverbs 8. Proverbs 8. Verse 36. Actually, let's read verse 32 to 36. Proverbs 8, 32 says, Now therefore, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways. Heed instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorpost. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me injures himself all those who hate me love death. Those who hate wisdom love death. Love death. Isn't that a horrible thing to love death? But this is what they do. This is what the fool does. The sinner, the wayward, the naive. They are destroyed by their own sins. They love death and they will receive death as the outcome of their life. But verse 33, the contrast. Remember, we always say the Bible teaches by way of contrast. We have the fool and the wise man in contrast. The end of the fool versus the end of the wise man. He who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. When we listen to the wisdom of God in the person of Christ, the word of God, then we will live securely. We will be free. We will not have the dread of evil on the day of evil, the day of judgment that will come on all the ungodly. We will be at ease because we will have nothing to fear, nothing to dread because we know that we're right with God, that we have made our preparations. We have been reconciled to God through the death of his son. And we know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, according to Romans chapter eight, verse one. So when we believe and have true faith, true repentance, manifested in a life of godliness, then 
we know that we have nothing to fear on the day of judgment. We will dwell securely for all eternity, and we will not be in dread of evil. This is the way that we should be. This is the same as it says in Psalm 1. In Psalm 1, verse 6, it says, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. God watches over the righteous, but the wicked will perish. We have to believe that. We cannot be complacent and think that we can live a wicked life and God's just going to let us in. Because my grandparents and my parents, they're all Christians. And and we're a Christian family and we're all going to make it one day. We shouldn't be like that. We have to know the Lord watches over the righteous. And who is the righteous man but the one who believes the word of God, who obeys the word of God, who receives the wisdom of God. That's who we have to be. So we have to be true believers. Then we will dwell securely. Then we will not be in dread of evil. So this is what I hope and pray will be true of us.